This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, I talk with a guy who had all the pressure in the world to play baseball and still did. A kid who had a game-winning shot in high school basketball with multiple NBA players on the floor and now works internationally, working in baseball. He is the one and only Adam Law. Adam, what's up, man? What's up, Jerem? Thanks for having me, brother. It's good to, good to hang out. Um, you and I go back a long ways because when you were in high school, Spencer Linton and I were helping call some of the Provo High games in, uh, in baseball and basketball. It was super fun. That was a formative time, obviously, for you as a player, but for us as broadcasters, be like, what are we doing? And uh, there were some fun teams that you played on, man. Right, yeah. We still sometimes pull up those old videos, and we always <laughs> we always chuckle at you and Spencer's, Spencer's suits. Big oh, old long terrible. baggy suits on the side of the court. It was awesome. Like 06, 07, <laughs> you know, we're, we're covering Provo High, we're covering Tim Few, and you played on some great teams. Um, the basketball teams you played on, what? Two-time state champ? Remind me. Yeah, two times and lost the third one when I was a sophomore. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Kyle Collinsworth, Brandon Davies. That was a fun group. Craig Droy's the coach. He's an all-timer. Uh, what was it like to play basketball? You're, you were a baseball player, but what was it like to play basketball on those teams? Yeah, basketball in high school was definitely my favorite sport. Over baseball? Over oh, by far. Would you have preferred to play basketball in college if you – could have? Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay. Absolutely. You were just a better baseball player. Better baseball player, and I was, I call myself six six feet, but I'm really 5'11". <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, high school basketball, loved it. Um, Chris Collinsworth, let's not forget about Chris as oh, well. Chris's senior year, he was a monster. Yeah, monster, and then playing with the Young Bucks, Brandon and Kyle. Uh, Chris is going to kill me. If you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun to have those guys around, man, like, uh, obviously on the high school team and then AAU and travel ball with those guys, having some height around and like it just made my job easy as a little point guard and, and the shooter to just to, to give it up to those guys, let the defense collapse and then kick it out when they wanted to. We're going to talk a lot about you in this, but let's talk about Kyle and Brandon for a sec. So Chris is Gatorade Player of the Year, state champion beat Payson. It was awesome, uh, which is super funny actually. In that state title game, I remember – uh, Payson misses a would-be tying three, and then Chris just flings it up from half court and goes in at the buzzer. So the margin's like more than it would have been. That was super random, right? Right. How do you remember that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went into the stands. So you're a what? Sophomore on that team? Uh, junior. Junior. Okay. Yeah, junior. junior. Yep, yeah. Yep. And then the next year, I think Kyle Kyle goes from like five nine one fifty to like six four one eighty or something in like a summer. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he ate, but all of a sudden, Brandon um, goes from being, his shoes looked like they were like four sizes too big, and he's <laughs> missing all these bunnies, to one of the most dominant players in the state, and you're on that guard line, and it's just like awesome defense and tremendous execution on offense. It was incredible to watch. Yeah, the uh, the famous Bulldog defense shut a lot of teams down. We The crowd look- would go, Bulldog defense, <laughs> Bulldog defense, and chant it for like a minute because there's no shot clock. Exactly, and then we'd get the ball and, and also take a minute to score sometimes because <laughs> our, our motto by from Coach Jury was we hold them to less than 10 and we score more than 10 every quarter and we'll win every time. In the, a game in the 40s. Just, it's just, <laughs> it's so be, boring. It's so boring, but it totally worked. There's like a gajillion banners in that gym. I was always intrigued by you as a guard because you – I, this was a really good idea. 
you wouldn't you wouldn't hug the three point line. You would sag off like I don't think it was NBA range, but it was like close. And so no one would get a hand in your face, and then you'd make threes. At what point were you like, wait, this is my competitive advantage here? Um, probably, probably growing up, honestly, uh, fortunate to have a gym in my house and just extend the three-point line as far as I could. And probably as a youngster, I was shooting it from my hip. But, you know, <laughs> that's probably where the hand-eye coordination came came about and then started to have some success in high school and just kind of extended until the defense wouldn't defend me. And, yeah, I think I think that's kind of how it happened. Well, the, you were the Steph Curry before Steph Curry. You were way out there, <laughs> oh, right? Geez. Minus the dribbling part. Um, yeah, exactly. No, you, you were getting a lot of good open shots. Let's talk about one of those open shots. So one game... I felt bad because I couldn't cover this game. Kind of Spencer graduates, moves on, and goes to Grand Junction. And so I'm like the head play-by-play. I'm like, sweet. I'm like the guy now that, you know, Spencer's out. Um, and so I have Drew Dowling and Brett Denham with me. But that night, BYU played Hartford in women's basketball, and I called the game. That's my first basketball play-by-play wow. on BYU TV. This is the fall of 08, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Is that your senior year? Uh, right? Fall of 07. 07, 08. Okay. Yep. Jim Fredette's a freshman. Exactly. He's chubby, and uh, you know, a couple <laughs> years later, he's that. The men play Hartford as well, and I sideline that. So I'm like, oh, this is a big night for me um, as a student doing this. I miss this massive game of the 5A and the 4A state champs playing each other. Yeah. It's Provo at Lone Peak. It comes down to the wire. The ball is inbounded, and there are two – well, there are a couple NBA players on the court. I'm trying to remember. Had Justin Hamilton graduated? No, he was on the floor. Okay, there are three players on the court who eventually play in the NBA. Justin Hamilton for Lone Peak. You know Tyler Hawes. You know Josh Sharp, Nate Austin, Bracken Funk, all those guys. There's Kyle Collins with Brandon Davis. The ball comes into you, <laughs> and you make a three to win the game. Re- remind me, like, the sequence of events there because it was like – Amazing. And and Brett Denham says, from Lawland. That's where Lawland was coined. <laughs> um yeah, Coach Jury, he drew up a play. I was probably probably the fourth option. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have I don't think I was the fifth option because I wasn't the man inbounding the ball and a couple seconds left. I was more of just the like the outlet uh emergency guy that I was I don't know. I like to say 30 feet away. Now it's probably 24, 25, but just kind of hanging out. And Brandon was covered. Kyle was covered, probably both double teamed. And I think Scott Edwards or somebody just kind of outlet me the ball from, from La Land. And the the best part is that Tyler, Tyler Haas was out there and he come running at me with the hand up. And I just, I just drop it right in his face to win the game was <laughs> Yeah, pretty cool. They call timeout. Ty gets like a half-court look that he misses. It's like the only miss of his career. Right. Uh, he's such an incredible player. Yeah, that was crazy, man. And Brett Denham, well, so I missed this game. I wanted to call that game. I, you know, I, I missed it. I always felt bad. So I found out later kind of what happened. And I was like, what? Adam Law made the game? Yeah, that's awesome. And and Brett, in his effort to say pandemonium, says, oh, yes. pandelirium. <laughs> That's right. So in my family, anytime there's something crazy, we just say it's pandelirium. Pandelirium. <laughs> I love it. So good good memories. We did a few baseball games. We're like doing it out of a van, sitting behind the dugout. It's just real rinky-dink. But you it, guys grinded. But it was fun to just like get to know you guys. And I say you guys, it's you, it's – Kyle and Brandon, obviously, but it's the Timphy guys too. Yeah, it's Bronson, Kafusi, and it's uh, you know uh, Chris Badger and the Bills, and like it was super fun. That that was like a unique special time when you look at Timphy was winning state championship in football, 
They have a pretty good basketball team. Some right. epic they had uh, Big X, Xavier. Xavier Suofilo. Exactly. Plays in the NFL. Yeah. Yep. He He's, played on those teams. Yeah, there's some there's some really good players. Like, the battles you guys had. The Reynolds brothers. Oh, of course, the Reynolds <laughs> brothers. Like, I I dare say that was a that was a really special time in the kind of history of Provo City Athletics. Yeah, for sure. Who who was like who was the guy you got along with the best at Timfew? And then who was the, the guy you didn't? Where you were like, all right, let's battle in sports. Um Bronson Kafusi was always, as we all know at BYE, just the most happiest, friendliest <laughs> human Yeah. <laughs> and like he was just this massive human being and would kind of body you up, but was just like so big and lovey. It's always fun to play against him. I always loved playing against Houston Reynolds. He played baseball when we were younger mm. and could really hit the ball a long way. Um, so I love loved those two guys. I, I don't say I didn't like everybody else, but just like <laughs> it being a rivalry is just right. kind of hard to get along with. Oh, uh, Bo Hunter. He's my friend now. I mean, we grew up, we're neighbors, but for whatever reason, he went away from Provo High and went to Timpview. And so that was always kind of a, hey, you left us, we're going to win the state championships. But now we always had some friendly battles, he and I. Yeah, it was awesome. How, how do you feel about Provo High not being in the same location in Provo? It's different, right? It's so different. Yeah, I've ridden my bike down there with my dad before, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's weird to see how far away it is. And then, of course, coming down University Avenue, and Pro High is now property of BYU for whatever reason. I don't nobody even know knows. what it's used for. <laughs> nobody literally, does. Literally, nobody knows. Like, yeah. I know they, like, give the COVID uh, vaccine right. uh, in the main gym, I think. So, like, the space where you have all these memories, it's like, yeah, okay, that's that. What else is it? I, I don't know what BYU is going to do with it, but I know they bought it. Yeah. Did the school district get the 25 mil? I want to know where that money went, man. When people complain about money, I'm like, you bought a mountain and <laughs> yeah, Provo no High. Kidding. Like, there's some money to be had here. No kidding. Kalani Satake is getting some of that now. <laughs> okay, so uh, you graduate from high school. You've won like a gajillion state titles. Uh, it's it's a fun time. Then you go on your mission, remind me, right out of B- before BYU or do you play a year? Uh, I played a year. I walked on. Um, you walked on. Walked on. My dad was the, the coach. coach's son. Had to walk on. Yeah, and granted, it was, baseball's weird. You have eleven point seven scholarships, right? And I didn't mature. I I was a late mature. I had like Salt Lake Community College offered me a walk on spot as well. And wait, no scholarship. No offers? scholarship in baseball. In baseball. In any sport. In nothing. Yeah, nothing. Really, I'm surprised by this. Yeah, and it was probably a favor for my dad to even let me walk on was <laughs> how I perceived it. If you were to ask him now, he would say, Oh, well, I saw potential in you. But I mean, seeing the other players there, I was totally overmatched. I think I had like six at bats as a freshman and then went on my mission. Spoiler alert. Adam is uh, drafted by the Dodgers later. So you're one of the guys that was no scholarship offers to draft pick. I mean, that's quite the story, which we'll get into in a second. Okay. So, <laughs> you're paying for everything uh, as a freshman. You go on your mission. You get one of the more exotic mission calls, Zimbabwe. What was that like, man? Yeah. Um, it, like the call or the experience? All of it. All of it. Whew. Uh, I, I do remember one of the few trips that I went on as a freshman. Um, 
I think we were playing like University of Washington or something like that. My call came in the mail, not on the iPad like they do now, but just going home and open it up with a couple friends and my family. Zimbabwe, I could read, but then the capital is called Harare, which it, I don't know, it was hard for me to read. So I stumbled across that and I always wanted to go somewhere cool and learn a language. And so that mission call was just unbelievable. I was so fortunate to have had the experience opening it and then just the experience serving in in Southern Africa. Just, I mean, all missionaries, most missionaries, I would assume, would tell you that their mission was awesome and, and mine was as well and learned a ton, physically matured, spiritually matured, uh, emotionally matured, and I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. What's Zimbabwe like? Um, it's very humbling as far as where we come from here and then you're just dropped in a third world country you learn to appreciate the small things uh but then you also learn to appreciate when people don't have what we have yet they're so happy and i think one of my favorite quotes is that it's been said of africans that they have very little of what matters least but have a great deal of what matters most Mm. and you can see that in their little worldly possessions, but they have a ton of family relationships, cultural bonds, heritage, stuff like that, which really impacted my life. That's amazing. I love that. And uh, this year's men's basketball team has three players from Africa. So cool. It's super unique. Yeah. Tanzania, Mali, Nigeria. That's amazing. I I dare say no, uh, no other team in the country probably has three African players, which is super awesome. What is it about um, sort of – the, the African continent itself sort of has this uh, kind of identity and brand, right? I don't know that every continent has the same situation. North America, we're not like, dude, North America, man. Like, we don't care. Right. But it feels like Africans are proud to be from Africa. What have you learned in your experience with that? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, I, I remember in the World Cup, whenever the in soccer, whenever the World Cup for soccer is being played, I'll talk to my friends in Africa, and no matter which country is playing, they're cheering for because they call that the United States of Africa. So if my friend is from, I don't know, Zimbabwe and Cameroon or Egypt is playing, I mean, they're all in on these teams because of the heritage and just the overall bond and the unity that they, that they all feel for each other is, is really special. That's awesome. And it, it's cool because nowadays, obviously with technology, FaceTime, Zoom, obviously airlines and whatnot, it feels like we're getting to see Africa more and more. What, what's the sense that you get in that? Because I've never been to Africa. I'd love to go one day uh, or many days. Uh, it seems like it'd be an incredible experience. Yeah, it, it sure it surely is. And I like you said, with the technology expanding, um, it's a lot easier to get over there. It's a lot easier to see that it's safe, that there's tons of cool places that you can go to that are virtually untouched. That is, is still really cool to, to experience. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really special place. How many countries in Africa have you been to? Ooh, um, off the top of my head, I'd say ten plus. Ten plus. I, yeah, I, I take some time to list them out, but I think ten plus. What are some of the countries? Uh, South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi, Tanzania, Kenya, Ethiopia, Ghana. Mm. it's pretty good 10 yeah 10 
what are some of the experiences you've had in Africa there that stick out? I haven't talked to too many people about Africa in my life. In fact, zero. This is the most I'm learning about Africa. This All right. Uh, my wife and I visited Zanzibar, which is a small island off of Tanzania. <clears throat> and we went to a slave trade center, a former slave trade center that was abolished in like 1960. 1960? 1960. 1960. Oh my gosh. And I mean, that's in the... <clears throat> My my father was born in 56, so it just kind of put things into perspective and was just like a really human, it was just a, a touching human experience to A, realize that my fellow human beings did such things to other human beings, but that like we can make changes for the better and look for ways to love deeper, to accept deeper, and to be to be more kind was uh, that was the first experience that popped in my head when you yeah. asked. Yeah. yeah, that's a really valuable lesson. Okay, so you come back from uh, Zimbabwe. You, at what point are you a scholarship player? Do you become a scholarship player? You said you had matured physically. You get back. What's that experience like to try and okay? I want to play baseball and uh, eventually be drafted, which you were. Yeah, uh, got back from my mission. My dad somehow found half tuition in scholarship for me. I have no idea if that was like a 20% thing or what. I don't know how I earned it because I had <laughs> four, four or six at-bats, whatever it was, and played about half the games my sophomore year and then went and played summer ball in a collegiate league in Palm Springs, which Spencer was... I think he was an anchor for yes. one of the news stations. I, I saw him at church. I'm like, what is going on? You went to the same ward? Uh, yeah, same ward. Did you live with somebody, like a former Major League Baseball player or something? Uh, no. Okay. I there, didn't. There are some former BYU baseball players who played with, I can't remember who it is, but a famous Major hmm. League Baseball player. I don't recall who it is off the top of my head, but it was somebody where I was like, oh, that's awesome. Not a member of the church, just like housed him for oh, this really? league. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Who that It'll come been. to me later, hopefully. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, so played college summer ball for the Palm Springs Power. And that was the first time in my life that I had had consistent at-bats for an extended period of time. Mm. And that summer was when I started to turn some heads of scouts. Particularly, I think with my athleticism, I could really run, I could jump, throw hard, and my bat-to-ball skills were were pretty good. And so I used that experience to propel myself into my junior year, which is funny because my dad was let go as the head coach. And Coach Littlewood came in and called me, I think one of the first days that he was hired and said, hey, uh, you're going to have to walk on again. Because I think my dad had yeah. saved some more scholarship money for me. But what was that like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I walked on again as a junior. <laughs> Emotionally, was that crazy? Your dad's let go. You could certainly fantasize about, well, my family's been wronged. I could transfer. James Empey had a similar experience when his dad, Mike, uh, you know, was fired as the offensive line coach. And he stayed. And I was like, oh, that was probably hard. Yeah. What was that like for you? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I had two university basketball coaches reach out and say, hey, we heard that your dad was let go. Would you be interested to play college basketball? What? Wait, like three years later? Yeah. 
They're like, we saw the Lawland clip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but it never really crossed my mind to leave. I, I think my uh, University of Utah reached out baseball and said, hey, we'd love to have you come play for us. Uh, a couple other teams reached out, I think University of New Mexico, uh, Cal State, Northridge, some Thinking other teams. you might be interested yeah. since your dad's out. Since okay. my dad was out. And it never really crossed my mind. Hmm. And in a sense, it was almost a relief because I really struggled having the law umbrella, having my dad, my grandpa, my brothers were really good college players. And it was almost like, wow, I can take a, a breath of fresh air and go out and, and play my own game without having to worry about, I don't know, dad as the coach or whatever. And regardless of who thought about it that way, that's how I perceived it mm -hmm. at that time. So, and Coach Littlewood was awesome for me. And I hope that I was awesome for him as well. So let's talk about that umbrella. Uh, so for those that don't know, your your grandpa, uh, you know, Vern, the deacon, wins the Cy Young in what, 1960? Yeah. Oh, there's one Cy Young Award winner. Nowadays there's two, for, you know, one for each league. Right. That's an incredible experience. They uh, Did they win the World Series that year? They right? did, yeah. They the, went in dramatic fashion, right? Phil Mazeroski home run. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. He's nicknamed the Deacon, uh, which is super cool, uh, repping the church. He's one of the first – I mean, there had been a few, but he's one of the first famous members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the professional level, right? Yeah. I mean, there weren't a ton. Um, no, nah, I mean, he's probably the first notable member of the church – in the athletic sphere. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So then your dad, Vance, plays in the majors for a bunch of years, all-star. Uh, who is it? Tim and Andrew mm -hmm. play at BYU. They're really good. I think I called some games with Andrew. Um, Tim's a little older. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, the, the, the like, benefit of that is great because it's like, hey, we're like a baseball family. We're named. But you're third in line in your family and you're third generation in line. What are the pros and cons of that experience? Yeah, uh, I think right off the bat, the pros are you just grew up, you just grew up around the game, and just kind of a, a product of what you guys talk about at the dinner table and what you do in the evenings. You watch a game or you go play a game. Um, another pro, like kudos to my dad. He never forced us to play or go to the park or do anything like that. It's just like that's what we did. We were always around, and when he was coaching high school, coaching at BYU. Some of the cons, I think, are baked into how you look at it. And I was always on the defensive of, oh, I'm just here because my dad's the coach or I'm just here because I have to be here when really that pressure was just something that I, I put on myself. Can't control what other people were saying or thinking. But uh, that, was, that was one of the biggest cons, I think, was how I perceived that situation at that time. And I hope we get into the kind of the mindset shift that I had, which was a really freeing experience. So was, was that mindset shift your junior year when now you're there because of your own merits and your own, I guess, desires? Before it was, but these perceptions changed with you. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, there was going into my junior year, I played really well summer ball, and then I worked with a gentleman whose name is Jeremy Tannehill, he flies Blackhawk helicopters. Mm. And he took me through a resilience training that they do in the army. Wait, and, wait, what how'd you get into this? Um where was this? So 
I don't know, like confidentiality, but he worked with a couple <laughs> other now famous baseball players from BYU and totally changed their aura, like how how they how they went about their business. Taylor Cole being one, and I think he would be to- in the majors. Be totally on board with me sharing this. Yeah. Is he shifted him from being soft mentally to an absolute stud. Oh wow! And it's, I should add Blue Jays as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so working with Captain Tannehill um, was an incredible transforming experience of how I viewed my situation playing for my dad and then how I viewed my situation now playing for myself and not giving a crap about what other people said. And the two, the two things that I wanted to work on with him were the whole law umbrella thing. And then I got super nervous when we were <laughs> like winning by one in the ninth inning. I didn't want the ball to to be hit to me because mm. I was so scared. And we worked through all sorts of different drills and thought processes that helped me work through both those elements, which have impacted me even to today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So how do you hear about this guy? How do you get connected I I need to ask him, but he I believe he reached out to my dad as the coach and said, hey, this is what I do. Do you have any players to send to me? And oh, interesting. So he sent him Taylor Cole and Matthew New. I don't know if you remember Matthew New. Yeah, he became a stud pitcher. Stud pitcher, yeah. played professionally for like, like 10 years, something like that. And if you would have met him the first one or two years at BYU, and I think Matthew would be on board with me saying this, is – like mentally he was soft, just like I was, just like Taylor was. And so my dad saw the transformation of Taylor and Matthew and was like, yo, Adam, you want to work with, work with Captain Tannehill? And I did for like eight weeks. I mean, I'm waking up at five in the morning. Yeah, yeah. what are you going through here? Yeah, so horrifying. Absolutely. I am already scared of my situation, and now my dad is having me work with this hardcore <laughs> Army captain. I don't. We called him captain. I I called him Captain Tannehill. I don't even know what his ranking is, but that's just what he wanted me to call him. And yeah. so, he would take me out to the mountains, and I would be freezing, and he would be breaking me down mentally, saying all sorts of things that I believed about myself, which weren't true. But those dudes just like know how to pick at your mind and play mind games with you and break you down so much that the only way that you can overcome it is to get through those thought processes. And so he would break me down mentally, physically, where I'm doing push-ups where I can't even I don't I don't know how many push-ups I would do or just like flutter kicks, sprints where I was so just broken physically and mentally that then he started to teach me principles that I can get past uh things that I'm feeling physically physically and mentally and just slowly by slowly overcame kind of those demons of of who I was as a person and as a player and just was really freeing to now be able to play the game of baseball for myself not because I was a law or because I was scared of if I didn't play what would happen um same thing with the late in the game fielding stuff is like he Captain Tannehill Captain Tannehill helped me understand how to trust my preparation and all the hours and the hundreds of thousands of ground balls that I've taken to like what's the difference if you're in the world series or if you're in your backyard like 
it's the same it's the same uh skill just like the context has changed and those skills i took all the way through my professional career and kind of what i'm teaching our players now so you went through like a boot camp that had you know sports psychology mental strength elements to it yeah exactly it was that's that's what it is it's it's a yeah boot camp where really the emphasis is your mental skills and mental strength i mean i was i was taking batting practice in like 10 degree weather and captain Tannehill had a microphone or a a megaphone right next to my ear just screaming obscenities (laughs) while he's having me (laughs) recite like twinkle twinkle little star or some other children's poem that just to like create all this noise and then still to see me have success like I, I now get what he's doing is I don't need to be thinking about like what I'm doing physically I've done it so much that it can come naturally but he was creating all this noise for me to now see that I can do f- things physically without thinking about it mm. so yeah boot camp teaching resilience and mental skills eight weeks yeah. Is this like a spring summer? When is this? Uh, winter? Is it was. It, winter? it was winter. Okay. Yeah. It was, it That's was, your off season. Yeah. Yeah. December through January, I think, right up until our first game in February. So was this before your? So before your junior year? Yep. So you played the summer in Palm Springs, then that like fall winter is when this happens. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're feeling good at this point, like okay, I'm playing with confidence. I've figured some things out mentally. Let's go. Exactly. Going into your junior year. Yep. And I another thing that boosted my confidence was I was having almost every major league team had sent me a questionnaire or an inquiry about what my plans were. And mm. so like I knew I knew I was on the radar and I was really starting to believe in myself. So you go <laughs> you go from Walk on for your dad to this point. That's quite the journey. You got to pay it off, though. And you do. <laughs> your junior year, you're amazing, dude. Uh, do you remember your stats at all? I have them in front of me. Um, no, I don't. I know that I had a year for the ages, except Chris Bryant, <laughs> who we all know and love, <laughs> had a year that put my year to shame. I had a good year, but, but Chris he, Bryant was. Yeah, he's like eventual NL MVP with the yeah. Cubs, and they win the World Series. That's, right. that's another level. You go three. You hit 355, slug 508, on base 422. You, you, uh, you steal 13 bags, 42 RBIs. You're just awesome, man. You start all 49 games. You, go, you know, The year before, by the way, you're hitting 228. You know, you're doing your thing. Yeah. 220 is not terrible. It's above the Mendoza line. Right. But 355, you just like explode. At what point? During that season, are you like, hey, this is working. Like, I'm playing at this level, and I've figured some things out. And like, hey, I, I got a shot here at, at playing at the next level. Uh, I think, honestly, Coach Littlewood and Coach Pratt, I was shocked when I saw the first lineup card and I was hitting third. I was always a speed guy, like get on base, you hit first or second. And to see Coach Littlewood put that belief in me, really meant a lot and now I'm thinking wow I'm a guy like I can hit for some power now I have some thump and like I had good games and maybe I had a bad game and I was still hitting third the next day and just kind of that consistency really made me feel 
confident that he believed in me and then I believe in myself and then knew that that something good was going to happen. And it went really well that year. That team was really fun to watch. Yeah. That was a good BYU baseball team. Yeah, it was awesome. We, I think, or we qualified for the conference tournament. First time that it had happened in, in some years. And after a, a tough year as a team in 2012, it was really cool to bounce back. So 2013 happens. You have a fantastic season. Major League Draft happens. Walk us through sort of that process because this is this is the draft that people pay the least attention to. Because it's 40 rounds, um, and it's like, uh, you know, who would they pick from where and how? You know, it's crazy. Um, you end up being, what, a 12th rounder? Yep. To the Dodgers. Yeah. What's that experience like? How's the phone call? What's the negotiating the signing bonus, the whole deal? Yeah, so really fun experience. Um, I kind of my draft plan was to either be drafted in the top 10 rounds and sign for less than slot or the allotted signing bonus that they give you just so that I could say that I was a top 10 round draft pick, which helps kind of in the, in your progression through the minor leagues. Oh, he's a top 10 round guy. Or it was to get drafted after the top 10 rounds, but still sign for the maximum amount of money. And the Dodgers, I was fortunate. Most of the teams had reached out to me, kind of gauged my how much money I wanted, if I was going to sign. I was a junior. I was an older junior at age 23 because of my mission. I took two years off, but still had some leverage of saying, hey, like I can still come back for my senior year, so you need to meet this amount of money, whatever. But I felt really good about the Dodgers. And Dustin Yount, who was a scout in Utah at the time, uh, really, really liked what he had to say about the organization. I knew that he liked me as a player. And so come draft day, it was the third day. They do like the first round on day one, rounds two to 10 on day two, and then 12 to 40 on day three. But Dustin called me on day two and said, hey, we're not going to take you in the top 10 rounds, but we're going to meet your dollar off or your dollar amount that you want on day three. Is this something that you're good with? And I felt really good about it, told him yes. And then he said, okay. Now call the other 29 teams and tell them that you're not going to sign. So I don't know 29 if 29 phone calls. I don't know if I call their text that I probably just copied and pasted and, and sent text to all the other scouts that said, Hey, uh, thanks for your inquiry or like for, for your interest in me, but I figured something else out and that's kind of how it played out. I remember I think my dad was, Oh, my dad was actually the bench coach for the white Sox, And so he was watching the draft with, all of the White Sox in June, <laughs> and pretty cool. They all got were all pumped up when my name was called and the and the phone call came. I was actually at BYU taking batting practice because I was so nervous when you they called. To your happy place. Yeah, and then I hurried and hopped on my little scooter and went home. And my mom and I shared that moment together, which was really cool. This was back when scooters were cooler as well. Probably, <laughs> <right>? Exactly. <laughs> there was a time like. When I was in school, when you were in high school, scooters were the rage. 08, summer of 08 was like the scooter summer, man. Um, now they're not as popular, but that's okay. Do you still have the scooter? You I don't. I, I sold it. I, See, I wish I didn't. I'm telling you, the era's over. Yeah, it's, I wish I rare. didn't, but. I know, a scooter was super fun. Yeah. I love that you're taking BP. You're just like, you know what? This is where my I can clear the mechanism. Exactly. To make a baseball movie <laughs> reference here. 
That's awesome. Okay, so you get drafted. Yep, you go right to the majors. That's not how it works, right? Um, what <laughs> That journey is a hard one. Kind of walk me through being a minor league baseball player. Yeah. I, I wish I would have had the education of what it actually is prior to getting drafted. That and was I, me before a mission, too. <laughs> all of us before a mission. I was like, wait, what is it? No, it, no, it was it was different than I thought, but it was the hardest, most amazing, gratifying, terrible amazing experience I've ever had. It's, right. it's both ends, right? And it seems like the minors was too. For sure. Uh, I, I think the, the numbers, it's like 8% of guys who are drafted play a day in the major leagues. 8%. 8%. Wow. And of that 8%, it's like 6% are first rounders. So if you're not drafted in the first round, you have a 2% chance to step a foot on a major league field. So props to Jacob Brugman, Jacob Hanneman, and Taylor Cole for beating the odds. But of course, all of us who are drafted don't think, oh, I'm going to be the the 90 the ninety percent that doesn't touch the major league field. You don't even that thought doesn't even cross your mind. So um I didn't know that there were six levels in the minor leagues. I thought we had triple A, double A, and single A. Yep. I didn't know of yep. the two levels of rookie ball, the two levels of single A, and then double A, triple A. I didn't know that you played every day. You uh, didn't know you played every day. I didn't. No. I I don't know how I didn't know that. I knew you played every day in the major leagues, but I didn't know that you played 140 games in 150 days in the minor leagues, where you stretches of like 24 games straight, something absurd. Yeah, in college, it's like four days a week. You yeah. play a Tuesday and then three in the week. And then you play your weekend games. Yeah. But in pro ball, it's it's you, you're going all out. And the hardest part, I think, was because you're playing every day, if you, if you string like three games in a row where you don't get a hit and you're 0 for 12 or you're 0 for 15, that takes a serious mental toll to go out and do it again the next day. And then if you don't get a hit – you got to do it again the next day, and then you pray that your manager gives you a day off. But then there's also not a better feeling of when you're going good and you're, I don't know, of your last 20 at-bats, you got 10 hits or something like that. But kind of the ups and the downs took me a couple years to, A, not tie my value as a human to my performance because that was something that's really easy to do when you're playing every day is like, oh, if I'm 0 for 4, then I'm a crappy person, but if I'm 4 for 4, I'm the king of the world. And so trying to separate those two, who I am as a player and who I am as a person, uh, took a couple years. And then just learning to deal with failure was the proverbial the Hall of Famers fail 70% of the time. They hit 300, which it rings really true. And learning to, to navigate those ups and downs as a, I mean, I was 23, 24, other kids are 18, 19, first time away from home. Luckily, I was a return missionary and had done my thing for two years. Yeah, it was, then you pray for a promotion that you get called up to a high A or double A or triple A, and then pray that you don't get sent down. And then your buddies are getting released and you can't do anything about it. And then your buddies are getting called up to the big leagues and you're so happy for them, but deep down you wish that it was you. And then it's the off season and you take a break and then go do it again. The next year is so much fun, but really, really hard to do. How many years did you play again? I played six, six seasons and was released in my seventh. 
It was my Mariners that released you. <laughs> uh, I'm still not over that. Okay, one spring training, um, I was in Arizona hanging out at my mom's place, and I went to a game where the Mariners played the Cubs. You played for the Mariners before the game. You came over and said hi, and we chatted for a minute. That was super cool. And then uh, Jacob Hanneman, former BYU guy, was on the Cubs, and you both got a hit in that game. We took a picture after. That was a pretty cool experience for me to be like, look at these guys doing their thing. It was it was a pretty cool day. Really, really cool experience for the three of us, I think, and for the BYU ties that bring us together and, like, we're in what I don't know. Were we in surprise or no? No, we Mesa. were in Mesa. Yeah, yep. at, the, at the Cubs. Little place. Wrigley, exactly. Yeah. And for you to come support us and show us some love was so cool. But yeah, the fact that both of us got a a hit that we both played on the same day. You know, spring training. There's so many moving parts, but there the three Cougars stood on the side of the on the field and took a picture. It was really cool. That was pretty awesome, and uh, I was super proud of you. Yeah. Um, okay, so the teams you played for, you're going to have to pronounce some of these because I think you went international here. Yeah. Arizona Fall League, of course. That's where you kind of start out. Ogden Raptors, single A, right? Uh, that's rookie ball, the second level of rookie ball. Okay. Rancho Cucamonga. Which is high A. I was fortunate to skip low A. So, yes, Rancho Cucamonga, high A. Tulsa Drillers, double A. Yes. All Dodgers here. Yep. And then uh, you go to the Mariners. Was that a trade, released? Uh, trade. Trade. Yes. I was traded for a dollar. Are you serious? I kid you not. <laughs> you want to know the story there? Let's hear it. Um, I wish we had time on this podcast, Adam. <laughs> Sorry. We have all the time in the oh, world. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so at that time, the Dodgers had gone through a leadership change. And Gabe Kapler, who is now the manager of the Giants, was our farm director. And I now revere the guy. Like, I can't think of a better leader, a better culture creator than Gabe but as a player I was kind of put on the shelf I was more of an old school play hard steal bases hit for average but Gabe brought in the new school which was power numbers walks strikeouts and slug or yeah power exit velo exit exactly yeah. and I didn't fit that bill and so I was kind of put on the shelf as a minor league player and fell off the prospects list mm. if you will yeah which, it, like, every Baseball America puts out a list. Exactly. The top 40. You know, I'm always scouring the BYU guys on these lists. Yeah. Exactly. So you're not on there. So I'm not on there. Ah. And in a conversation that I had had, like, man-to-man was Gabe. Like, I feel like I can play in the big leagues. And he was always honest, which I appreciate, though the honest, the honest truth hurt, was he said, you're not going to play in the big leagues for the Dodgers. Your best bet with us is to – kind of be a, a backup minor league guy when we have guys get hurt fill in he's like there's a couple things that I can do for you is you can stay with us for sure you have a job insurance whatever or or I can send out an email to all 29 teams and say that you are available for trade so I thought about it talked with my dad with my agent and we felt that that was the best course of action to see if I had if there's any interest out there and another opportunity and the Mariners uh, reached out to Gabe, the farm director, Andy McKay, who is still the farm director for yep. the Mariners, said, yeah, well, we, we like him. We like his makeup. We like what he can do on the field. And so the acquisition happened. And for the paper trail, I was traded for a dollar. 
I actually, since I became an employee of the Dodgers, you can go back and look at all that stuff. So I looked at my trade. <laughs> my heart sank a little bit when I saw it was for a dollar. Wait, you didn't know till later? I had no idea. <laughs> I, I, like, honestly, I was probably trading for like, uh, you know, like top five guys, you know? I honestly thought that I was part of the Chris Taylor trade. Yes. As a player to be named later. That's what I thought. You thought you were the player to be named later? Yeah. Ah. Which is like kind of pumps up your ego. It's like, wow, Chris Taylor's turned into a guy. But he was with the, yeah, when he succeeded with the Dodgers when they won the World Series, I was like, Little Tira came out, I was like, X Mariner. Exactly. <laughs> but I was not traded for Chris Taylor. I was traded for a dollar. A dollar. Oh <laughs> I I really want you to just put up a dollar in your house and be like, This is what I was traded for. Yep. Yeah. It's got a little you know the the transaction data. You should do that. You should do that. Just like as a motivator, right. I think that'd be really funny. Okay, so when you're traded to the Mariners, I'm like, yeah, baby. Yeah, Adam Law's a Mariner. I'm gonna. I actively follow what's going on. Um, BYU Sports Nation. It's been fun this spring summer. We're tracking the guys in the minors. This is great. So every day, hey, Adam Law had two hits against the whoever's. You know, you're playing for the uh, you know Arkansas Travelers, Double A. That's fun. Then do you do you go to the Dominican Republic or something? Where do you where do you go? So I go to Venezuela. Venezuela. Yes. Oh, how about that? Was an unbelievable the funnest during the summer. Uh during the winter. The winter. Yes. Right. You're so busy during the summer playing in the mic. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it's an it's a winter league where all of the Venezuelan players, the major league players, the minor league players, they go and play for their hometown teams. And oh, that's fun. Each team is like a, all the way up, like Felix Hernandez all yes. the way up. All of the studs. Oh wow! And each team is allowed four import players. So whether so in Venezuela, you can come in from Cuba, mm. from the Dominican, from the states. And I was fortunate to I I had a really good year in Double A, and one of the the Cardinales de Lara was the team in Venezuela, and the Cardinals of Lara of Lara, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and. So they, they offered me a contract to play down there, and it is a wild experience. It is a, You went on a second mission. Yes. I mean— <laughs> But baseball. Like it's, it's a massive fiesta, the entire game. There's just drums. There, the loudspeakers are constantly playing. You hear, like, the announcers are—I mean, when you, when you hit a home run, they're saying, home run, at your entire, time, your entire trip around the bases. Like it's a goal in soccer. Exactly. Is it below the equator? Remind me. Uh, yeah, it's in the Caribbean. So it's the summer. Yeah, oh, yeah. There it's, it's the summer. Beautiful weather. Yeah. And, I mean, you're an absolute celebrity. Like, I could not walk around without people running up, asking. I felt like Jimmer Fredette or Taysom Hill <laughs> in the States. And it was it was really cool. Yeah, that was a that that was the funnest time I've ever had playing baseball. Really, and I, I think I would imagine major league players who play in the Dominican or in Venezuela would likely say the same thing, unless they've played in the major league playoffs. Mm. That kind of environment is that what you're saying? Exactly. The energy. The energy is. Oh. I mean, it's no in the states. You kind of sit back. If your team scores, you go up, you give a guy a high five. But over there, I mean, if you score, everybody's out on the field dancing. It is so much fun, so wow. much energy. Did you did you go again? Because I saw you played for another team. Yes. So then um, that same winter, I was traded to Yaquis de Obregón in Mexico. What What's the dollar there? Is it a 
It's not a peso. I don't know. Yeah, it's a peso. So you were traded for a peso again? No. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know how they figure out those transactions in the winter league. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I went to Mexico and played. You went to Mexico now. An, yeah. So that so that league, my second league for the Yaquis is in Mexico. And what happens is at the end of the winter league, the champion from Mexico, the champion from Venezuela, the champion from Puerto Rico, the champion from the Dominican, they all play in a massive series it's called Champions League. Called, exactly. It's called the Caribbean Series. Yeah. It's the Champions League exactly. of baseball in the Caribbean. That's great. So That's fun. My, not, my, neither of my teams won. And so I went home once the season ended and then they all went together and played in the, in the Caribbean Series. But Venezuela was way more fun than Mexico. Mexico was still cool, and the stadiums were nicer and a little more first-class treatment while at the park. But, I mean, playing in Venezuela, those people live and die for baseball and live and die for their for their local team. That Pretty cool. That sounds so fun. Yeah. That's gnarly. Okay, so then, you know, you make it up to AAA. You're with the Tacoma Rainiers, which, for those who don't know, is, like, obviously, like, most of the time there's a ton of traffic, but like 30 to 45 minutes away from Seattle. Yeah. There's a chance on any given afternoon or morning you get a call and then that night you might be with the Mariners if they're home. How close did you get? Because I was always ready that if you got the call, I might be booking a plane ticket to go see you play for my Mariners. Yeah. I, I, I always thought, okay, if Adam makes sense, I'm going to go to that game. That's a good question. Um, I was really close when I – was first promoted to AAA and was absolutely on fire the second half of the year. Never got the call that year. Um, I did ask the manager on our final game because they had, when the rosters expand to 40, which that rule is done away with now, but back then you could have 40 guys on your major league roster in September, September call-ups. We've all heard that phrase. And that's a good time for a player like you in that situation. Exactly. But at the time, all the September call-ups have gone up and I was finishing out the last five or six games in the minor leagues. So on the, on the last day I went in and talked to the manager said, Hey, thanks. Uh, what would you like to see me work on this off season? Just kind of, winding down the season so he told me a couple things but then said I want you to know that you were the guy when Scott Service had called or the Jerry Depoto, the general manager had called that said hey we need a guy who's on fire you were the guy that I was telling them and for whatever reason I wasn't actually picked and, ah. I'm, and I'm not asking for like it's not a moral victory it's not oh but we only lost by seven and then no like I am not a major league player but to be in those conversations and then at least to hear about it is is cool to hear. I wanted so bad for you to be up. Makes two of us. <laughs> how, how have you sort of reconciled those feelings of wanting that? Because that's the most validating day potentially in your career of like, yeah, I made it. But also like, hey, you had a fun, enjoyable, hopefully, experience there. How, how do you sort of reconcile those feelings Oh man, uh, I think when I'm able to completely reconcile them, I'll let you know. You it's, haven't. No, it's still, still dealing with it. Yeah, and I think if you talk to anybody who played an extended amount of time in the minor leagues and was that close, who never got the call, it still it still hurts. And I think that's that's pretty common across the board. Though I did have 
a cool experience. So I had a, a decent year in AAA where I talked to the manager. And so I go into spring training the next year and had a, had a pretty good spring training and make the AAA team out of spring training again. So like now I really think I'm on the verge of making it to the big leagues. I'm starting this the year in AAA. My wife and I just newly married, get an apartment in Tacoma once again. And our first series is on the road in Sacramento. I think it was the the Giants AAA team at the time. Bought a suit coat, like always wanted to have a suit coat on me in case they called me up so I could, you know, get straight with the big team and look the part. Anyways, go into the our home park to catch the bus to the airport to start the AAA season. And the manager calls me into his office. Pause. During spring training, I talked with the farm director. And he's like, hey, yeah, we like you. We like you as a player. You add value to our organization. You have a job for this year. Now, I get things change, but that was the message that was told to me. So I get called into the manager's office before we're about to leave for our first game of the AAA season in 2019. When you get called in the manager's office, two things can happen. One, you're getting called up to the big leagues, or two, you're getting released. What an emotional knife on an edge moment. Yeah, and based on the conversation that I had had with our farm director, I thought I was going, I, I honestly thought I was going to the big leagues. There was not, I was walking into his office, I'm thinking in my mind, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to, I got to call my dad, I got to call my grandpa. I got to call Jerem. I got to call Jerem. <laughs> Jerem's going to meet me for the first I'm game. I'm going to go to the game. Exactly. I, oh. I, I get to call my wife and walk in, the manager sits me, sits me down and says, we're releasing you of your contract. And then you talk about a flood of emotions where I was not expecting that. I had been promised this, whatever. I get that things change. And we had traded for the, the big the big club had traded for a catcher. And so they needed to send the catcher down to AAA. I was kind of the last guy in. And I was, yeah, so I, I was released. Anyways, for the next two or three months, I tried to link up with other teams. Nothing happened. And back to the reconciliation of feelings was I would always go around. Yeah, you know, Mariners released me. I'm not really sure what I'm going to be doing with my life. Mariners released me. And the power of that decision was on the Mariners. It was, oh, poor me. The Mariners did this to me. And I had a cousin who helped me reframe that. Sure, the Mariners released me, but I made the decision to retire. I had some chances to play internationally, to play independent ball, but it was ultimately my decision to retire. And sure, it wasn't it wasn't my decision to step away from the Mariners, but I made the decision to retire. And now it just brings the ownership to me where it's not nobody else has control of what I'm doing with my life. And that was that's been huge in how I've reconciled the whole situation is like it's me. It's not anybody else that did it to me. And to the farm directors who promised me that I'd have a job the rest of the year, I get that stuff happens, especially in pro ball. So I hold nothing against him. He and I are still friends. And Andy McKay. Andy McKay, yeah. He's kind of guided me down because my I'm current Because I know all the names of these people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, oh, that's rough, man. That's really so rough. tough. Yeah. 
He probably signed some kind of contract with a house. And yeah. I, I think about all the logistics of a situation when someone goes through a thing like, did you have family nearby? Did you have enough money after that saved up? You know, it's like, that's that's difficult. So what went into the decision to retire? Basically, no other major league team had a job for me in in the minor leagues. Uh, I think a couple teams wanted me to to play in double A and I I'd, I'd done that for 3 or 4 years like I was ready to either play in triple A with a with a chance to make it up or not. And then independent ball is though a good competition, if you play in it, it's even harder to get back to minor league baseball and then up to the big leagues so I didn't entertain that idea still had some schooling left and yeah so that that's kind of what that's kind of what went into it was didn't have the right opportunity that I felt like I needed to become a major leaguer and made the decision to hang it up and because it was year and a half two years well I guess two-ish two and a half years ago maybe a year and a half you're you're still dealing with those feelings. That's yeah, that's still, raw and real. This is actually one of the first times that I've talked about it. Oh wow! So this is this is really therapeutic and good. Hopefully, yeah. No, it is. Yeah, Th- thank really you good. for talking about it because yeah. I know that's super difficult. But part of the reason I want to do the show is like, yeah, people have real issues and real feelings, and not everything is just hunky dory, amazing. Yep, yep. And I just it, no, it was hard and I hated it. Yeah, or I exactly. had to learn this. And I had to go through this, and I'm still still going through this. So I appreciate you sharing that. Okay, so once you make the the choice to retire from baseball, you mentioned school. Did you go back to BYU? I know you did something on like a like a ranch in Texas or something. Yeah. So right as I was released, I had not yet made the decision to retire. The same cousin who helped me reframe my thought process has a a big old ranch in Texas, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you and Hannah, my wife, come down there?" We'll put you to work, and you can figure out what you want to do. What kind of work are we talking about? Because you're a kid from Provo who hasn't worked on a ranch, right? Correct. <laughs> uh, I did it all, man. I was mucking stalls. I, what does that mean? Like cleaning out poop from horse yep. stalls, from yep. chicken coops, uh, getting eggs. I was mowing the hay fields. I was doing woodwork. I was doing metal work, um, feeding animals. Like I was doing it all. Like if you, what you think about work on a ranch, that's what I was doing. Wow. And I had an awesome mentor, kind of the the head honcho there, Roberto Moreno, kind of took me under his wing and taught me all sorts of stuff that I otherwise would not have learned. Do you live on the ranch? Yeah. So my cousin's house is on the ranch and they had a little side house where my wife and I stayed and it was hard work, man. Really hard work. Why did you choose this? The, the, like after you're done grinding in the minors, this you go t- from hard thing to hard thing. Yeah. I didn't really have anything else. If I'm being honest, I didn't want to go bury my head in a cage and teach hitting lessons. Um, this was stable. This was a way. This was, I could talk with people if I wanted to. I mean, you kind of go, th- I wasn't depressed, but like sometimes you just don't want to talk about, especially when it was so fresh. And my identity, unfortunately, or no, not unfortunately, but my identity was tied a lot to who I was as a player. And so now I'm going to come home to Provo and everybody's going to be like, wait, aren't you supposed to be playing right now? Mm -hmm. 
And I didn't want to deal with that at the time. Um, I also was newly married, no money. And this was a chance to make some money and save up. And also my cousin and his wife and their family are awesome. This cousin was super influential, it feels like. Huge. Yeah, he's huge, even now. And just like, yo, yo, you do what you want to do and we'll support you. And yeah, so. You needed that experience. Needed that big time. Mm. Yeah. That's super interesting Um, because you could have totally buried your head. But in a way, you could uh, there you could sort of isolate and and forget yourself and go to work if you will. Is for that sure. what happened? Yeah, for I it I, feels I, so hard what you did there. Yeah, I mean I had no very little time to think about my situation because I was worrying about are the horses brushed or are the pigs fed. <laughs> like I had no time to to think about my situation. Sure, I was yeah. reaching out or my agent was doing work and trying to find a place to play, but I would lift in the mornings and then work for 10 hours and be so tired, eat, go to sleep and do it again the next day and hope Mm. for a phone call. How long did you do this? This was April through like the first week of August. So it's like like four Four, or five months. Yeah. Yeah. Hard labor. Hard labor. Probably hot. And humid. Hot and humid in Texas. (sighs) Yeah. It's out right outside of Austin in a place called Salado. Salado. I think I've heard of it. Interestingly enough, the ranch, he's called it La La Land Ranch. Nice. I like that. <laughs> I like the movie. Okay, you, you've had two experiences now where you needed this super hard thing to help you physically, mentally go into the next stage. It was like this transition moment for you. Did you realize it was this in the moment? Because it feels like that was a formative experience for you. Yeah, it was definitely formative. I didn't realize it in the moment. I was just... Do we ever, I guess? Probably not, right? Yeah. I was just kind of rolling with the punches. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, what have you been up to since then? So this is summer of 2019? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had chipped away at my degree at BYU in the off seasons. I had one more semester left, came back to BYU in the fall of 2019 and finished my undergraduate degree. Congrats. Thank you. Prior to the start of the, of the semester, check that. The day I was released, the Dodgers called me. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to have a job for me now to, to play. And the gentleman said, we don't have a job for you to play, but we have something that might interest you when you decide when and if you decide to stop playing. The Dodgers still liked you. Yes. As a person. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I thought they wanted me to be a coach, and that is not what I want to do. So... I just kind of put it on the back burner, thought about what I wanted to do, which was the mental skills route. I don't know if you know Justin Sua. I called games with Justin Sua. Of course At BYU. Did. He has oh. a son named Jerem. Exactly. Not after me, of course. <laughs> but I love Justin Sua. He's become big time. Yeah. Browns, Red Sox, Rays. He's huge. BYU grad. He is probably the the top dog in the mental skills performance psychology field and 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 oh by the way craig manning was at byu he's with the bucks now who just won uh the the nba title exactly so some byu connections in this in this field so i called justin this is still the summer i was actually at a water park with my cousins and and picking his brain about what he does and how to get to where he is so we talk about graduate school 
Uh, I'm lucky because I have a professional playing background, which is highly desired in the profession as well, and decide that I'm going to go the mental skills performance psychology route. So I finish my, go back to school, I call the Dodgers, thinking that maybe they have an opportunity for me to work in performance psychology department or the front office, which also intrigued me. And I just say, hey, I'm, I'm, calling, I'm calling you about our conversation we had in April. And he's like, yeah, we would love to figure something out for you and what you want to do, but here's what we have in mind. And then they asked me, how would you feel about growing the game globally? I'm like, growing the game globally, what does that mean? And they're like, we want to have an impact in Africa. Oh, wow. And again, could they know you had gone on a mission there? Yeah. Okay. They yeah. Knew so, you had a connection. so they knew my connection yeah. to Africa as a missionary. In fact, I had spoken my mission languages during spring training and everybody loved it. And oh, so, that's cool. So they, they knew that. They knew that my degree was in sociology and that I kind of have a tender heart for human beings and thought that, that it would be a great fit. So agreed to work with them in their international operations department and did some work in Africa, in the Dominican, and then stateside as well. But again, my plan is to was to go down the sports psychology route. So I finished my degree, immediately enroll in an online performance psychology master's degree program and went full on and finished that just this past June. Finished my master's degree while I've been working full time with the Dodgers in the international operations department as well as in the mental skills department working with players, staff members, and such. And that kind of brings me to where I am today. I'm pumped. I am going to be transitioning all in with the mental skills guys and kind of leaving the international stuff uh, to our current workers and still going to have a hand there because it, it means a lot to me, but also like really excited to, to go all in with, with my passion. That's amazing. I wake up to an Adam Law tweet every day uh, where you, you talk about something in the mental strength game. Um, it's awesome. And it's an underrated part of the game. I think like 10 years ago, it was like, what is this? And now it's like every team has somebody attached to this. It's so important. Like you've talked about the difference it made on your career and everyone needs that. It, well, it's, it's like, uh, you know, the stigmas around therapy. It's like, no, 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 it's good for everybody. It right. doesn't matter. Everyone needs to work on that part. So what have you learned about sort of mental health that, um, those basics and the kind of difference they can have on athletes. And then for those listening that aren't competing at a professional level, like the application for life. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. I've noticed particularly that, A, it's becoming a little bit more normalized to talk about. Like the stuff that I went through or experienced, you know, playing under the umbrella with my dad or being scared to catch a ground ball late in the game, that stuff still exists even at the major league level, and guys are having those feelings. And so to have a designated worker or coach or specialist, if whatever you want to call them, there to – help a player through those challenges, through what he's feeling of tying his self-worth to how he performed on the mound or how he performed at the plate. And being able to make that distinction is huge. Um, 
and and then in a in a like a non-sport sense as well like all these skills can be applied to help you be more efficient in your workday or to be more present with your family all the skills that we're working on with our athletes we hope that they will also translate to who they are off the field and <laughs> the same skills that I'm working on myself as well that's awesome it's really important yeah, that, that stuff. Follow Adam on Twitter if you don't already. Remind me, what is it? Adam Law 217 What's the 217? Uh, 21 was my high school basketball number, and 7 was my baseball number. Okay, 217. I thought it might be an area code or something. Uh, so I, <laughs> no. I'm not even sure where 217 is. Uh, 208 would have been Seattle, I think, right? Yeah, 208. Something like that? Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome, man. Uh, it's great to catch up with you. Congratulations on all the, uh, the success and... Uh, you know, getting in, in with the Dodgers and international development is super cool and mental strength is awesome too. So we look forward to following uh, what you do there. Follow them on Twitter so you get those amazing, uh, you know, daily thoughts. And then uh, you played for my Mariners. I know they cut you late. I'm so <laughs> sad about it still, but it was pretty too. Still, It was pretty cool to see you in uh, the unique teal, you know, green. and So and awesome. Like, you know. and, and the green, hey, back to the Provo days. Exactly. It's not the same green, but okay, let's end with this. I thought one day that I would be so smart, Adam, and I would reconcile both fan bases to me. I wore a green tie with an orange shirt to a Provo oh, Tempe yes. game, and everybody hated me. They were all like, boo! You know that gif? Boo this man! Yes. That was everyone to me, and I thought, I ticked off both sides. I thought I was going to bring them in. I forced them out. Felt like a freaking idiot. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't even remember who won that night. I just remember being embarrassed. Jeez. So shout out to those people who booed a college kid wearing a weird <laughs> combo. Anyway, Adam, our journey has been a long time together. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Jerem. I really appreciate it. Okay, that'll do it for us. Listen to previous episodes on the BYU Radio app or where podcasts are found. For Adam Law and producer Corbin Radford, I'm Jerem Jordan. You've just listened to Deep Blue on BYU Radio.